Welcome to the Appalachian Folklore Podcast, a wild hike through the history and migration of the folk culture, stories, traditions, and haints hidden in the hills and hollers of Appalachia. I'm your host, Aaron Bobick. Hey folks, welcome to this month's episode of the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. This month's episode is my conversation with my very good friend, Bethan Briggs-Miller. She is the co-host of two wonderful podcasts, Spectre of the Sea and Eerie Essex. She's a folklore researcher and general folklore nerd, as well as a paranormal research enthusiast. As you'll hear in the episode, Bethan introduced herself to me about a year ago when I started Appalachian Folklore Podcast. And we very quickly became friends. She opened the door to an entire world I didn't know exist of podcast hosts and researchers and the uncanny community, those wonderful human beings over there. So I'm eternally indebted to her for everything that she's done for me. And we had such a wonderful conversation. I hope y'all have fun listening to it as much as we had recording it. Without any further delay, on with the show. Welcome to the Appalachian Folklore Podcast, the princess of paranormal podcasting and AFP Welsh correspondent, friend and fan of the show, Bethan Briggs-Miller. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm a massive fan. I am fangirling right now. I just realized, I was thinking about this the other day, friends of mine got married in October, and that's about when you first reached out to me. And yeah. I think you and Elsa had an episode where you were oh, like, oh, yeah, we just friends. started listening to this. A year. Yeah, it's been about a year. Oh, so I think it was right around August, September, where you guys mentioned my show on your show. And then we ended up being friends very quickly after that. But what show is that? What uh, what shows do you host or co-host, I should say? I co-host the podcast Eerie Essex, where we look at the weird history of the county and swaps tales and look into the history and how it like still affects the area. And I also co-host Spectre of the Sea, which is an audio drama that follows the folklore of the Welsh coast uh, with Owen Staten. Sorry, I do Eerie Essex with Elsa Clark and I do Spectre of the Sea with Owen Staten, who has been on this podcast and you've heard his amazing voice mm-hmm. uh, so i'm going to be a disappointment after that but <laughs> <laughs> whenever anybody but... speaks that isn't owen it's always a disappointment i know i just i, I just want to hear owen's voice all the time well imagine being on the same blinking podcast as him he like he's a hello and welcome to blah 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 and i mm-hmm. come in going yeah <laughs> <laughs> but to connect you it. to connect you and owen outside of specter of the sea is that he is Welsh and you have Welsh heritage. And I am Welsh. That is what we're here to discuss today on the Appalachian Folklore Podcast is the history of mining in Wales and the creatures, the folklore uh, and folk beliefs that came out of the mining camps in Wales and how they those stories came over here to Appalachia. Yeah, we've been wanting to do this for a while, haven't we? Yes, and many millions of things have gotten in our way. But we're doing it now, and it's going to be great, and people are going to love it. It might even be the best episode ever. Sorry, Owen. <laughs> Do you want to forewarn your listeners that there's bound to be innuendo? Because And then explain why. Sure. I mean, if anybody <laughs> hasn't listened to Eerie Essex, you can go ahead and pause this episode and check out all of Eerie Essex. It'll take you a few days, because there's a lot of episodes, and 
amazing bants about absolutely everything, but there is unadulterated smut, and which is absolutely. a wonderful thing that I was introduced to uh, when I joined the Uncanny Community WhatsApp group. So for any of those folks out there who do use this as an educational podcast for their kids, I mean, please let me know. I've never heard of anyone that does that, but if you do, let me know. But I'm sure there's going to be that bad. I don't, I don't know. Uh, Trigger um, warning. Bethan's here. (laughs) Uh, But you know, if you don't want to, we're going to talk about Tommy knockers or knockers. And of course there's innuendo there. You know, if you don't feel like uh, having to explain that to kids, then whatever. So uh, yeah, I think maybe let's start off. Obviously mining culture, the history of mining in Appalachia is, uh, I mean, it, it is what Appalachia is, unfortunately. Uh, just the the rich folks coming in and taking the trees and taking everything above and below the earth, mm. uh, and a lot of folks connect that to the, the the folks who are in the mines with Scottish, Irish, and English ancestry. But what a lot of folks forget to look at is that throughout Appalachia, there's I mean, plenty of different cultures: the Welsh, the Cornish, my descendants, Greek, German and swiss up north they all work the mines in pennsylvania and so i thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about welsh mining what it's done to the community in wales and uh why those folks decided to to come over to appalachia mining is such a big part of welsh culture i mean not so much anymore i mean there are are still mines and open casts in wales but I mean, at one point, like the, the the landscape, you know, we just dig underneath the the grass a little bit. It's black. I mean, it, it's really the heart of the the country. I think there was a the film Pride. Have you seen that with Bill Nye, where he talks about this thick vein that goes through the the heart of Wales, this black vein, and it's the soul of the country. I thought he nailed it there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a whole community would spring up around a mine. So, like, you know, there's, like, still villages now that um, the mine has gone, but the village is still there. Um, and there's, it would it would be entire generations, you know, grandfathers, uh, sons, grandsons would be in these mines. And the whole economy and community would revolve around these. Um, and naturally, you know, especially with the, the high mortality rate of um, mines, it it really like struck a chord throughout the community. I I always talk about um, my grandma, my great grandma, sorry, um, would tell tell the family, you know, when they sit down and like share stories. Um, there was always this fear in the communities of hearing the siren go. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would like echo through the valley, and everyone would know. There would be like the the guilt of thinking, "I hope it's not me. I hope it's someone else." Yeah, which also comes with a relief of, "Oh, it was someone else." And just hear the, the sounds. I mean, whenever you look at Welsh folklore, it's very visceral. It's very um, smell, sight, sounds, touch. And I think a lot of that comes from the mining communities. I mean, it's you would be listening out for the sounds, uh, smells, you know, going into the mine with the, the, the gas. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you can see how it shaped the folklore, especially like the waiting for death. And I've done a lot of talks on death in the landscape and how it was almost guaranteed on a weekly basis there would be something that would end in either a very bad injury or death. True. So naturally, yeah. people would want to find ways of looking out for it. They would be looking for signs. And 
it would end up looking at the paranormal. It would end up looking at, um, as we're going to talk about in a moment, knockers, the coblini, which is the Welsh version of um, goblins, and just basically anything, like especially animals and weather patterns. So everything revolved around waiting for the inevitable. And people didn't have time to waste. They didn't have resources to waste. They didn't have energy to waste. So they needed to be sure of what they were doing to to act instead of react to things. So especially when you're in a place as dangerous and as foreboding as coal mines, you need to look out for any signs possible. And mm -hmm. like you were saying, weather patterns, smells of gas, the idea of the canary in the coal mine mm -hmm. and anything like that, a certain sound, well, that's that sound means this, or there's water and we don't go near this mine when you hear the water or anything like that. It's just that that sense of just checking another box to make sure things are going to be as safe as they possibly can be in an area that is incredibly dangerous and almost certain death uh, for yourself or friends, family, or, or coworkers. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's the same in, I know, I know I always talk about how Apple, Apple, Appalachia, sorry, and uh, America is so much bigger than Britain, but I mean, in the world in general, the subterranean passages and tunnels is still that wilderness that is disappearing all the time with, um, you know, people, connections. It's very easy. There's, there's not many places that are truly wild anymore, but once you get underground, it feels like there's still that ancient mystery there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And there we have, in this part of the uh, country, in Kentucky, Tennessee, and in Central Appalachia, we have the Mammoth Cave System, and it is exactly that. I mean, it's gigantic. It's over several states. Uh, I'm sure you heard about it in Hellier when you watched that. I'm sure that's oh, going to yeah. come up later. We'll, we'll talk about Hellier. Oh, yeah. um, we do have massive cave systems in this country, mm. and so we have above ground and below. Well, see, it, that's an interesting thing about mining culture in Wales. If you talk to any Welsh person, I guarantee you they will have been to the big pit museum um oh. in school it's like the thing like no matter where you were in wales at some point you will have been to a pit mining history is so ingrained in the education system because it has such an effect on the area and i've i've been down it twice i'll never forgive my dad because one time we went down there i had you know those shoes that had the flashing heel yes yeah he whispered to me before we went down you better not set your shoes off because there could be gas down here so i spent the entire tour of the mine <laughs> on tiptoes crying because i thought i was going to cause an explosion which weirdly gave me a sense of what it probably was like for the miners going down and like sure. being terrified i mean so i in a roundabout way got a taste of it yeah any any strike of the pickaxe any yeah. you know before there was electricity or batteries you had uh, candlelights that would set off in an instant a chain reaction mm -hmm. with gas. Who knows? Well, even like um, just some of this, like static. I mean, there wouldn't have been much static then because it'd been natural materials, but you know, it doesn't take a lot if no. there's a gas filled chamber and it can happen quickly. Things, some of the things that folks look out for in Wales, in the Welsh mines, you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that. Uh, I'll talk about omens first before we get literally and figuratively into the yeah. mine. Um, so it wouldn't take a lot uh, to shut down a mine. That's how seriously these omens were taken, especially in South Wales. Um, I'll talk about, about the Morpha pit disaster first because that's probably the most well-known and the 
best example of the amount of supernatural and paranormal occurrences before the event even happened. It was in 1890. Oh, 1905. Oh my goodness, I'm gonna—I I can't remember now. But either way, there was this massive disaster where, in one of the veins, the deep veins of this mine, there was a pocket of gas, and there was later on it was found during um, an investigation that there was a faulty latch on one of the lamps, and oh. it caused an explosion. And it was probably in the—it was the cribor vein, so it was the main vein, but it was right at the end, and over 200 men and boys lost their lives that day and yeah. there's still bodies underneath the system they had to just close it and there's yeah. this still finding bodies today it was it was an awful disaster um but in the weeks afterwards you start seeing in the newspapers that a lot of people knew this was going to happen now, i said 200 people died that day only half the workforce turned up that day hmm. so there would have been about 800 workers only 400 turned up and that is because in the lead up to the disaster they had premonitions they had dreams when they were down in the mines they would hear knocking which we'll get on to later mm -hmm. with the knockers but they would hear bangs they would see I mean, animal omens are quite big in wales as well and there was a white horse that would run around the mine there was um the smell of a death flower uh, that would fill fill the mine and it was a very sweet smell a very particular smell and it normally preceded a big disaster if you smelt it uh there was also there's a little tiny man in oilskin clothes that would get onto the lift with people it would just he would descend and he'd run off down the mine and he wouldn't come back up again but it was nobody talked about him like if anybody knew was on that shift if anybody just started down the mine and they were like who's that they very quickly told Shh, don't talk about him mm -hmm. so it, it's not just like these wispy little things i mean this is it was quite solid the things that were happening i mean there was also something called the fledrith um where it was a, i'm trying to think of a good explanation imagine like seeing a death or seeing an accident um, before it happened or um, seeing the a funeral procession a lot of the um, sort of like the premonitions of death was seeing your own and sometimes not your own but mainly your own funeral procession and um, corpse candles there was a lot of corpse candles seen down in the mine now corpse candles are very similar to sort of like jack-o-lanterns and mm -hmm. uh, will-o'-the-wisp sort of like that um ominous light that will like you know follow a certain route and in welsh folklore corpse candles would follow the route from the place of death to the place of burial oh. and so many of them were seen in the mine leading up to this disaster and they were all different sizes and colors and in um corpse candle folklore a lot of the um colors depend on the age the sex and how they died so there's a, there's a, a lot of very specific um things that that lead to what the candle looks like it was so seriously taken that around a week before the miners had demanded that the the cribble vein where the actual disaster took place be investigated 
And their reasons were exactly what I just said. There were all these omens and they did actually do it. That's And the foreman, the managers and the people in charge of the mine also took it seriously. And they asked someone to go down. They actually did a full on serious investigation. And I've actually seen the newspaper report. And it's, you know, when you see a newspaper report that makes it sound like, oh, yeah, we looked. It's all going to be fine. And, you know, you just know a it's week not. later yeah, yeah. what the headlines are going to read. It's, it's heartbreaking. There was miners who were so convinced something was going to happen. There was one man that had dreams leading up to it. He heard the knocking and all these different things. And there had been a slightly smaller explosion about 10 years, 20 years previously, mm -hmm. which had the same buildup with paranormal activity, um, but was on a smaller scale. So it wasn't reported as widely. But this... This miner had um, been in that disaster and survived, and he took it so seriously that he quit his job and he went to work. He completely uprooted his family and moved to another um, valley to um, work in another mine because he was so convinced something was going to happen. And it wow. wasn't just the miners as well. Like, the community would have these premonitions. And you see that not just with the Morpha. There was also another horrific disaster, the Abavan Colliery Disaster, I don't know if you've heard of that. It's one of those, no. you know, it's heartbreaking. Basically, there was a, a spoil heap of coal that was on top of a the mountain on the edge of like the mine and the quarry and everything. Mm -hmm. And it hadn't been propped properly, I think due to shortcuts and people like perhaps going, yeah, it's fine, even though, even though they mm -hmm. kind of knew it wasn't. After a very heavy rain, the sides that were keeping it up came it just broke and this entire wall of black sludge almost like an avalanche um oh. came down the hill and there was a school at the bottom yeah. and it just engulfed this school within minutes and it's oh, it's it was on the um the crown um on one of the series and they did it so well i couldn't watch it it was that it's still quite fresh in welsh people's like history it's sort mm -hmm. of like oh it makes you feel sick um, and again, there was so many premonitions leading up to that. There was the children were actually drawing pictures of the disaster in the weeks leading up to it. Wow. Yeah. And a lot of, again, a lot of children didn't go to school that day because the families took it so seriously. The the idea of the premonitions, though, I've not ever heard of anything like that over here. I would love to have someone write in and be like, "No, my grandmother here this disaster. My grandmother was 15 years old at the time." and tell, tell me their story. So if you have stories, do please let me know. It, it almost sounds to me like these were, I mean, the idea of the fetch, but yes. instead of the fetch being an individual, these were it's a community. It was a community. They were, they were, mm. I um, mean, there's a lot, I mean, uh, again, there's, um, it's quite popular or quite common in Welsh folklore to have, um, how to put this large scale premonitions or like entire communities. I mean, this mm -hmm. is the only time there's also um, something called the Cahirith, uh, which is a sound. Um, so as I said, a lot of Welsh um, omens are to do with the senses. So this is a sound and this is mainly to do with the um, coast and with omens and premonitions about storms, wrecking, um, maritime disasters mm -hmm. uh, that would affect a village. And this was very similar to the Banshee sort of like, you know, the, the screech that heralds um, mm -hmm. a death. It would um, start off in the, um, the sea. It would go back and forth and back and forth, and it would reach a pitch. And then as soon as you thought it would be quiet, it would be around you. So you'd think it was going away, and then all of a sudden it'd be all around. It would be all 
going through the village, people would be slamming doors. You know, it was, wow. you know, you don't go out to hear the Kahirais. It's, it sounded terrible. Um, I used to live near the, near the coast and there was one night, I swear, there was this weird shriek out to, out to the sea. And I, I remember then reading about it not long after that in sort of like a weird moment of synchronicity, I just happened to be reading a book and it said about the Kahirais. And I was like, that's weird. It's very much similar to what I heard the other night. But and another just thinking about how serious it was taken. So I said, you know, like people didn't turn up for work. There was actually investigations taking place. Now, afterwards, any death in the mine after a um, an accident or a disaster, it was so, people were so superstitious that the mine wouldn't be reopened again until the funeral had taken place. Oh, wow. So you imagine how much money would be lost, you know, I mean, yeah. just by shutting everything, shutting production, shipping everything, the mine wouldn't open until that had been completed. So for me, that I think that just shows how seriously this was taken, you know, the the hold of the other world and the beyond the veil, it, it was respected. Oh, I think it's, nice. it's, it's even more important to respect it, I think, when you're that close to perhaps imminent danger and mm -hmm. death i think it makes you a lot more open to perhaps listening for those things and taking them seriously so in a nutshell i mean that that gives a good idea on like the surrounding like folklore of the the welsh mines yeah that's no different than over here other than i'm certain that the superstitions came over and then translated differently based on the other cultures in the area and every, everything just kind of hodgepodge together. Mm. And that was one of the interesting things. The idea of the Tommy knocker is Cornish. The Tommy knocker is Cornish. The yeah. knocker. You, you see it all over the place. I mean, there's knockers in Newcastle, all over Britain, but the Tommy knockers, they're very, you see them a lot in the tin mines of um, Cornwall. Okay. And then you've got the knockers um, or the Coblinai mm. in Wales. And they're all you see it a lot of places. I mean, every culture has its uh, version, I think, of the the knocker. Yeah, the the tiny underground tapping creature to warn you. I'd also heard a version that the tapping is to warn you, but the tapping was also to annoy you or miners. I shouldn't say not us. Well, but do you I, ever I... have um, in Appalachia? Do you ever have um, knockers that help miners? The, so I was talking to someone recently. Uh, about knocker folklore and Tommy knockers. And a lot of folks don't talk about it. I've got a lot of books about various folklore and, and creatures. Everyone here is Bigfoot and ghosts, witches. Mm. And I think this ties into my theory with fairy folklore and how fairy folklore didn't come over mm. all that. Well, it didn't come over at all. And with, with the Puritans and first settlements. And then we start getting... The famine, uh, potato famine and all of that, and more Irish and Scottish come over. And the idea of the American dream starts taking place. And so you get other cultures, the Italians, the Greeks, Welsh, Cornish, to work in the mines. But by that mm. point, what I'd read in an article in Magical Folk, which is one of uh, Simon Young's collections, was that, and I can't remember the name of the author, that by that time, the reason fairy folklore didn't stick with the... The, the recent uh, immigration uh, from various cultures was because the Protestants wanted to establish that this was a new world. The fairies, yeah. the Koblenai, all of those little goblins and stuff, they stay back in Europe. 
And over yeah. here you have God. Yes. And that's it. And the idea that I've mentioned it before, I think with um with Ed Karshner and Cassandra Pfeiffer, that you can persecute witches and those possessed by demons and devils because they're tangible. It's a human being yeah. doing a bad thing. And you can't do that with a tiny little invisible creature. No, it's so, got, it's, it's uh, something that they can't control. Right. Uh, and it's such a shame. I mean, there probably was and there probably still is. I mean, I, I don't know if, if things are still like, I, I, I think this it's less talked about in America, the fairy folklore than it is over here. That's, that's the impression I get. Yeah. I think and it's are... getting better though. I mean, people are yeah, definitely opening up about it. And I'm like Joe Hickey Hall has her podcast and there's yep. Americans on there. I have a little fairy door over in the corner here because I love the little fairy door in the corner. <laughs> I, I, I try to be respectful. A, a lot of fairy folklore and, and tales of goblins underground and whatnot, trolls and all that doesn't really exist here from white settlers. But there are little people stories from indigenous yes. tribes, which is a whole mm -hmm. different thing. And and Morgan Daimler has said that they're not fairies, they're fairy like entities. Yes. Which are two totally different things. Cousins almost. Right. But in terms of white settlements, mm. the fairies, because of Christianity, were left. So folks over here are more likely to say haints or boogers or ghosts and witches are, are haunting the mine, not Tommyknockers. And that always yeah. interests me because I think that's the one piece of fairy folklore that people know about who live in this region and even outside of this region is the idea of the Tommyknocker. You, people don't have brownies. We don't have red caps or blue caps or hedgehogs running around their garden. I can't believe like we don't that. have hedgehogs over we there. We don't even have that hedgehogs. Really shocked me. And it wasn't <laughs> but, a hedgehog. But um, we, we don't have, those kind of things don't have, happen over here. But the one thing that does stick is the Tommyknocker. It's weird as well. I mean, the way you know, goblins and trolls. I mean, that, that you don't think of those as positive beings, don't you? They've been given, you immediately think, oh, what's that? It's a troll under the bridge or there's a goblin. It's it's, mm -hmm. it's got a very negative connotation. Whereas, I mean, the reason I asked you, is there any positive stories over there? Is because, uh, especially mining folklore, he wasn't always an omen. I mean, a lot of the time it would be them helping. It would be guiding the miners to a new vein or a better place to dig. Yeah, they're like the knocking is supposed to warn of impending doom, which you which is a good that. thing. But also, after. yeah, like you were saying, I, I have heard stories and they were few and far between of the knocking leading miners to a better route toward a mm. coal seam or you know something like to, to help in that that way. Yeah. But I've never heard anything about leaving offerings, which I know is over there. But yes, the idea of leaving left. an offering here, I, I can't think of an American Tommyknocker story that has that. There was also um, times where they would down tools for the day and go home and they'd come back the next day and find work done very similar to the brownies, you know, and the, mm -hmm. if as long as you don't acknowledge their existence, right. weirdly, or thank them, you know, they will help you. So it's like, the, like... Uh, the little man with the oil skin you were mentioning. They, they yeah, as long him. as you don't. Yeah. Yeah. He's there. Don't say anything. Just before the, uh, there was a newspaper report, actually, I found it. It was after I gave a talk on the Morpha Pit disaster. And I was, I'd never heard it before. And it was just a tiny little piece. And it was in an American newspaper. So I think it, somebody had talked to a cousin or something. And the story had made it over, over there. And it was about 
just before the disaster, the lift came up and the little man in the oil skin got out the lift and walked in, walked across the yard and into the manager's office. And that had never happened before, but that was oh, wow. actually the route the bodies the bodies came out and were taken to the manager's office. So there's oh, a lot wow. of following the routes of death. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he didn't come back out again, so he just followed that route. It's almost like it's, again, it's just, it, it, there was also, um, again, with the Fledrith and that sort of witnessing a death, um, it would be witnessed in such detail. Uh, there was a, a mine that was uh, in my stake, which is just north of where I grew up. Someone coming up the hill, they were going um, with the pickaxe, so, you know, going to work. Yeah. And they saw a tram out of control coming down the hill. And he saw himself with um, a young a young guy who was badly injured. And then it just disappeared. And they went and told people and they would, again, it would didn't dismiss it but it was like perhaps we shouldn't talk about it um almost like it could make it happen but then a week or two later it did happen there was a young man who was um on his own at the end of a, a one of the scenes and there was a rock slide there was a cave-in and he was very badly injured and the man who had seen the, the accident happen ended up taking him in one of the carts uh down the hill to reach um a doctor it plays out in such detail yeah that's absolutely terrifying like these are mm. better than any ghost story i have in any of my books in front of me here <laughs> i mean these are in the me. newspapers these these this yeah. isn't in like a folklore book this was actually told as as is it wasn't like um oh there's this guy who thinks this happened it was like this happened on tuesday uh, you know it was yeah it was very respected it was almost like it was fact it wasn't really dismissed yeah bit of a tangent but not really i just released a bonus episode a few hours ago of course this episode oh. is going to come out in the future so in the past i would have released a bonus episode recently but it's from the book monsters in print by mm. adam benedict and he has another one called ghosts in print that i need oh. to get my hands on and i'm wondering the way that you're describing these stories if in that book there will be instances of things like fetches, premonitions, ghost processions in Appalachian coal mining villages. So I'm going to have to, to Oh, that grab would be that. interesting. Yeah, I'm sure he, I'm sure there are. Mm. Uh, another person I want to reach out to is, is Chris Woodyard, who I've recently started following on, yeah. on uh, Twitter. She's amazing. And, and Boggart and Banshee is one of my favorite podcasts, but she oh, has young. limitless stories and information mm. about all that and to dive into her knowledge and compare that to fairy census information yeah to see appalachian fairy instances stories whatever that anybody's ever seen from census one two and i think he's working on three right now yeah three is being worked on yeah yeah to see as it's gotten bigger and and more countries and and folks have supplied information if there are any appalachian fairy encounters and how closely they relate to the stories you just told mm. if they're not necessarily fairies but little people warning minors i'd be very interested between chris and simon's fairy senses to see if there's any overlap there mm. i mean I just, even like the the, uh, the mothman that that is a disaster right, omen right. in itself that that thing is a whole mess i, <sighs> I, will, I will not touch the mothman because 
I want to touch his shiny. And his, his shiny hiney. His shiny um, hiney. Between Spooky Appalachia, Astonishing uh, Legends, Astonishing Legends, Friends of the Podcast, Kryptonaut Podcast, it's been done to death, and it's there's it's so creepy. Yeah, and you get into the the whole Indrid Cold and Derenbergers and Lanulos. There's all this weird stuff. Yeah, the Hellier rabbit hole, which we've oh, all yeah. been down. And well, and now I guess now would be a good time to get into Hellier. But yeah, that's why I'm not going to touch Mothman on this show because there are people, again, who've dedicated their lives to that. I, it's wonderful. It's my favorite. It's what um, Dr. Jeb Card calls weird shitology. It's just weird shitology. This everything be comes together. It's yeah. all of the weirdest stuff you could possibly think of coming into one focal point. And that was yeah. the Mothman there mm-hmm. down in, in, in West Virginia. But Hellier it keeps coming up. And I'm mm. sure folks are going to know about Hellier. It was a big deal. It's, it's an excellent two seasons, I believe they have. And they're working yeah. on three. They've been working on three for a while. What got me started in Appalachian folklore was a friend of mine. And her, her name was Aaron as well. She turned me on to Hellier and said, watch the first episode and tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. And of course, they're talking about ghosts and witches and haints and all that kind of stuff. And about 10 minutes in, I think it was about 10 minutes, they start describing these this guy in the little entities, the little alien aliens bothering him at his house, poking their head up, very yeah. similar to the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins, and which no one knew of, and no one ever cared about Kelly Hopkinsville goblins and until Hellier came out, except for yeah. Blake Smith over on monster talk. As soon as I saw that and they were like, Oh yeah. And then they'd scatter off down to a mine shaft. And I was like, Nope, those are Tommy knockers. Those are fairies. I, I had texted Aaron right away. Thing. And she's like, yeah, it's absolutely fairies. Oh my God. And so that was yeah. the whole thing. Which they, is that lovely crossover of UFOs and fairies that yes. I just love yeah. and cryptids. Yeah. Me too. Because Elsa told me about it. She said I was I was really ill, and she said, "Oh, you, just watch Hellier; it'll get you through it." And let me know what you think. And I was like, "Okay, what is this?" And I remember thinking, when as soon as they said um, little goblins with three—I don't know why—the three toes really like made me sit up. And yeah. then um, they went about a mine. I was like, "Hang on, mm-hmm. that ain't no alien." <laughs> <laughs> But there is the idea that there's a subterranean alien bases in Appalachia, and that's been kicked around. We won't get into that. This is not a cryptozoology podcast. I do podcast. like that, though. You know, I love it, too. It's tunnels, Bethan. There's it's tunnels. tunnels. <laughs> I do love a tunnel. But even then, with that show, when you when you watch, and, and folks who have watched will notice, whenever, it's, whenever um, Greg Newkirk brings up to the locals, have you ever seen anything around here? Have you ever seen anything strange? They always mention tiny little chirping entities. Yeah. But no one ever says Tommyknockers. No. Or fairies. They always just say tiny little people, which is what you yeah. say politely when you're not talking. You know, you never call them fairies to their face. They get all upset. I was going to say, when they do talk to people, you you get the impression that they're telling them, but they really shouldn't. There's like this that or they just don't have the word. that you're not supposed to talk about them. But it would be one of the things that I, I, I kind of looked out for this in any of the stories, folks, like in Irish folklore and Scottish folklore, they don't say fairies. They say little people. And it's just kind of culturally ingrained that you don't do that over here because it's not culturally ingrained. I would have assumed 
that if that were the case, they would say, well, you don't call them by their name because because yeah. that's it, it's not as common. You know, fairies aren't as common over here. They're not common at all. Hmm. And so the idea of not calling them by their name is not something that most people are aware of over here hmm. or it is commonplace over there. So folks, I would assume, would say, well, you're not supposed to talk about them. But to me, it was more of like a confusion that they didn't hmm. know what it was. So they described every other word around it because yes. they didn't have the word for it, which yes. would have been knocker, Tommy knocker, goblin. fairy. Well, they do call them goblin at one point, but I Every think that's the influence yeah. of Newkirk and Newark. Yeah. Newark? Newkirk. Newkirk. Greg Newkirk. and Dana Newkirk. And but they don't they they don't have the word, which is no. Tommy knocker or fairy. It was immediately a goblin or an alien, but it was yeah, because Greg and, and Dana Newkirk know this stuff. Yeah, they are the ones that put the words into people's mouths. Yeah, but before that, the, the folks who live there don't have a word for it, which is amazing to me. And also, I mean, as well as you really shouldn't talk about it. I, it was also normal. Yeah, they're just, like, oh they're yeah, there. they're there. We don't know what they are. We don't really talk about it. But yeah, it wasn't like a oh my god, you know it too. It's like yeah, yeah, we know it. Well, it's Bigfoot too. You get a lot of those folks who live out in the middle of nowhere all throughout the United States and Canada mm. where they're just like, yeah, Bigfoot's, they've been here forever. I feed them grapes every Tuesday afternoon. And <laughs> there was a woman amazing. that just, I remember a story, I can't remember where I heard it, of just feeding a well, Bigfoot grapes. It's just a thing that happens. I love that. Uh, but yeah, the, the what was interesting to me is that much like the idea of the little people over in Celtic countries, they don't talk about them, but I think they don't talk about them because they don't rightly know what they are. Mm. It's either because you don't know what they are or very similar to, you know, if you, if you, if you know its name and say its name, you almost invite Evoke it. it. Yeah. Invite Evoke it. it. That's a good word. Yeah. Like you bring the spirit in, you bring the spirit in. Well, would you like to hear from a minor? their own words i would what? love to so i got this amazing book which i i'm going to send you a copy because i think if you ever want to know anything about welsh folklore this is by elias owen he wrote this as a collection of folk tales and legends of it's of north wales so we're talking delith badders territory here whereas i'm more south wales um but he wrote it for the eisteddfod which is like this big cultural like competition like sort of like imagine like a olympics of poetry and art and things like that in wales and this was in 1887 and he actually won the prize for the best essay and an essay look at it it's a book and it it yeah, just goes big. through it's, it's it's hefty and i came across this one bit so there's a whole section on fairies and uh, mining folklore in here and this was a letter that was written on october 14th 1754 um, and it is written by Lewis Morris, as a well-known and learned Welshman, fully expressing the current opinion of miners in Wales, representing knockers. This is what a Welshman thought of knockers. In <laughs> see, people aren't going to see you absolutely like tearing yourself up laughing. Muting here. my microphone so I can have a good belly. Yeah, laugh. Just to let the listener know, Aaron is being completely childish here and laughing at the word knockers, which um, in Britain mean uh, it's a slang for boobs. Dropping you in it there. It's just so crass. Why do you have to talk about such crass it's things? It's so crass. I'm so rude. 
People who know very little of arts or sciences or the powers of nature will laugh at us cardiganshire miners who maintain the existence of knockers in mines, a kind of good-natured, impalpable people not to be seen but heard, and who seem to work seem to us to work in the mines. That is to say, they are the types of forerunners of working in mines as dreams are of accidents which happen to us. The barometer falls before the rain or storms. If we do not know the construction of it, we should call it a kind of dream that foretells rain. But we know it is natural and produced by natural means comprehended by us. Now, how are we sure, or anybody sure, that our dreams are produced by the same natural means? There are some faint resemblance of this in the sense of hearing. The bird is killed before we hear the report of the gun. However, I must speak well of the knockers, for they have actually stood my good friends, whether they are aerial beings called spirits or whether they are people made of matter not to be felt by our gross bodies as air and fire and the like. So then he goes on to talk about a particular mine. So before the discovery of the Eskaya and Moin mine, these little people, as we call them here, worked hard there day and night. And there are abundance of honest, sober people who have heard them and some persons who have no notion of them or the mines either. But after the discovery of the great ore, they were heard no more. So they were leading people to this like really rich ore and people who knew the stories heard them and people who had never heard it before, which is actually, although he probably doesn't know it, it's like that multiple witness, that sort of holy grail of, um, you know, experiences which you look for. When I began to work at the Thloin Thloyd, Welsh language is not kind to people with lisps. I'm so sorry. But it is a beautiful language. It is. They worked so fresh there for a considerable time that they frightened some young workmen out of the work. This was when we were driving levels and before we had got any ore. But when we came to the ore, they then gave over and I heard no more talk of them. Our older miners are no more concerned at hearing them blasting, boring holes, landing, deads, than if they were some of their own people. And then a single miner will stay in the work in the dead of night without any man near him and never think of any fear or any harm that will do him. The miners have a notion that the knockers are of their own tribe and profession are a harmless people who mean well. Three or four miners together shall hear them sometimes, but if the miners stop to take notice of them, the knockers will also stop. But let the miners go on at their work, the knockers will at the same time go on as brisk as can be in landing, blasting, or beating down the loose, as they are always heard a little distance from before where the, they come from the ore. So, yeah, basically, like, you know, if you ignore them, they carry on, mm -hmm. but as soon as you stop, and start going, I wonder what that is, who is that? Then it'll all cease. So just like brownies and a lot of um, fae, they prefer to work unnoticed. That's wonderful. And but helpful. And, but they're helpful in this case. There, there was no danger. It wasn't warning of danger. It was leading them to a nice ore vein. I was going to ask you what the primary resource was over there. Was it ever coal and tin? Coal, mainly. Mainly coal. Mm -hmm. So getting into a nice coal seam which would obviously help the miners quite mm. a bit. That's that's a wonderful letter. That was very beautiful. I mean, it goes on and on and on. We'll be here forever because, you know, like I said, you know, they will use 16 pages where one sentence will probably do it. But yeah, bit, that I, I like the fact you go through different minds. It's a very sane, it's a very set sort of like understanding of the creatures. This, this doesn't happen just here. If the mm. same instance is across the board in all of these different minds so you can see that it's not just mm -hmm. one particular place which mm -hmm. is wonderful and i'm really hoping 
folks will write in or message me and say, you ding dong, why did you not hear about this thing over in Appalachia with these little creatures? I want to hear the stories. That's what I like about this community. There's no like, um, oh, I know more than you. It's like, dude, I just heard your podcast. I I, I have a story. Can I share it with you? It's very, yeah. everyone's really keen to share. I mean, that's how we started talking, wasn't it? I mm -hmm. um, saw that you were going to put it out and I was like, oh my Lord, this sounds amazing. And I just went, uh, Everyone over there was like, I don't know anything about this part of the world. Yeah, I was like, I always want to know more about, I used to call it Appalachia, Appalachia so I'm, I, I was very- And that's, I've said correcting. it before, it's kind of a, um, let's, up north, it's more Appalachia. I can't even say it. Appalachia up north and Appalachia central and southern i always wanted to know more about it and there you were and i just went hi and it's been a year it's been a year i think a wonderful year september 1st is my one year anniversary and i didn't even make mention of it so to wrap up as i always do bethan thank you so much for coming over to the podcast it's not like we don't talk all the time but this is the first official recorded conversation we've ever ever had but thank you so much for for coming on the show and talking about welsh That's mining knockers and all the haunted scary things that go on in welsh mines i'm so proud and privileged that you asked me to come on to share about my knockers so you know i'm, I'm more than happy it was my pleasure and it will be everybody's pleasure as well when <laughs> when the podcast releases so what i like to ask uh folks that i i interview uh, i like to, to get a story from them because i do find storytelling to be one of the most important things in any culture throughout the entire world. Mm -hmm. And so I do my stories from the cabin on the 15th of every month. And I was wondering what your favorite story is or one of your favorite stories that you might be able to, to mention. And I can go ahead and tell that story on the 15th. I have got a story from the book that started it all. This is my first ever folklore book that got me interested in the subject. It's called The Folklore of Glamorgan by Alan Roderick. And this is, I know it's one of your favorite kind of stories. It's a changeling story. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just called The Changeling. That's wonderful. But I will send you a copy. Wonderful. Thank you. And yes, where can folks find you? Uh, where can they get all of the... I hide. Bethan... You can't find me. <laughs> where can they get their Beth and Briggs Miller fix? Okay. You can get your fix on Eerie Essex Podcast. That is on all platforms. Uh, Spectre of the Sea. Again, on all platforms, um, I'm an artist too, so you can find me on Instagram, Beth and Briggs Miller Art. I'm on Twitter, Beth and Jones Nine, because I can't be bothered to change it. Because since I got married, it's just a pain. So I'm still Beth and Jones. Um, I'm on Facebook too, so I'm everywhere. You Wonderful. can't really get rid I'll, of me. <laughs> I'll put all the links to your shows and whatnot in the show notes, so people can easily find you. Thank you, Pickle. Sure, and thank you again for coming on. And uh, yeah. I really appreciate it. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. One more time. Thank you, Bethan, for stopping by the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. I really appreciate it. And I hope folks will reach out to her and tell her how much they loved this episode. As I mentioned a couple of times in the episode, if y'all have stories from your family about omens, premonitions, spectral hounds, tommyknockers that any of your family may have experienced or, or tales that you've heard over time, please send me an email at appfolklorepod at gmail.com. I've got a big gap in my knowledge right there, and I'm really hoping someone will step out and say, actually, there are fairy stories that my great-grandmother or great-grandfather told me. So please do. You can reach me there. You can find me on the social medias all over the place. You can always send me a message there with your stories. Or if you want to swing by ko-fi.com slash appfolklorepod, you can leave a message there and... I would be eternally grateful if you were to donate 
to this uh, little passion project of mine. Thank you again for stopping by and happy Halloween month. And until next time, y'all be good. Thanks for spending your time with me here at the Appalachian Folklore Podcast. If you'd be so kind as to rate and review this show on whatever platform you use, I'd be much obliged as it helps spread the word. You can email me at appfolklorepod at gmail.com and visit my website, shows.acast.com AFP. You can find me at appfolklorepod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also find me on Mastodon at appfolklorepod at thefolklore.cafe. Thanks to Jonathan Ochoa for the AFP cover art. You can find his work on Instagram at inkwellgraphicdesign. Thanks again for listening.